Well, I want to start by showing you a, a picture uh, of two people, although there are going to be three people on the screen. Um, here we see it. Now, points, if you can name any of these people. Yes. Mac Horton. Well done. Which one's he? On the left. Yep. Yes. And the boy is Mac Horton as a, as a boy. Now, if you've got no idea who these people are, um, where have you been all, my, all your life? Uh, but they are, uh, they are Australian Olympic swimmers. Grant Hackett, uh, uh, probably one of the greatest ever uh, from sort of the early 2000s-ish. He was a, a big star in the 2000 Olympics and I think he went to maybe the one or two after that as well. And Mac Horton is a more recent swimmer. Uh, this past Olympics that we've just had, he was only in one event, the 4x200 uh, freestyle relay. So that's where lots of people swim together in a pool. And, uh, but in Rio, uh, five years ago, he was the uh, champion, the gold medalist in the 200 individual uh, freestyle. Now, uh, of course, Mac Horton, when he was a little boy and was obviously probably pretty good at swimming, uh, had a chance to meet his idol, Grant Hackett. And that uh, was great motivation for him to uh, continue and uh, he had someone to kind of look up to, the kind of person uh, he, well, maybe not the kind of person, but the kind of swimmer uh, that he wanted to be, the kind of results he wanted to achieve and having someone to look up to can be a great motivator for your daily life. I remember when we were moving to Tasmania and uh, on the way down we stopped in Melbourne obviously and uh, my uncle lived there and he was a senior partner in uh, one of Melbourne's biggest law firms and so we went into his corner office at 101 Collins Street uh, and uh, I remember walking in there and I thought this is what I want to do. Like, how good is this? Uh, and uh, I want a corner office like this one day. And uh, uh, that was a kind of a bit of a, a motivation for me, uh, and uh, so much so that I even started a law degree until I realised I'd rather shoot myself in the face than read case law all day. Um, but nonetheless, it was an example, a motivator, someone to kind of look up to, a goal to achieve, and I kind of experienced it in reality. And as Christians, we also need that kind of motivation. We need external motivation uh, to live out the kind of life God is calling, calling us to. And as John Stott says, as he begins his reflections on this part of Romans, there is no greater incentive to living a, a holy life, a life transformed by God, than contemplation of the mercies of God. For the Christian, it is what God has done for us, it is his, his mercy that ought to motivate us to, to, to live differently. And of course, we get some help along the way uh, by his spirit as well. But the first 11 chapters of Romans that we've chronicled uh, on and off over the last uh, 6 to 12 months has been uh, really a chronicling of the, the, the theology of Paul of the mercy of God, both to Jew and Gentile. The, the, the mercy of God is shown in the gospel of God, the story of Jesus sent into the world to save sinners. 
And so just to refresh your minds, let me read to you a smattering of uh, key verses in Romans. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Some of you will be able to say these with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Or Romans 5, 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, reconciled shall we be saved through his life? What wonderful mercy. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a gift, it's mercy. Romans 9.16 It, that is salvation, does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And Romans 11.32 God had, has bound everyone over to their disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. This has been for Paul a, a chronicling of the gospel of grace, the mercy of God shown to uh, those who come to faith in Christ. And having chronicled this grace and mercy of God, having spoken uh, about uh, the relationship between God's people, Jew and Gentile, uh, coming together in Christ, Paul now makes this call to all Christians to changed life in view of God's mercy. Verse 1 of our reading today from chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, you might remember that uh, verse uh, as you heard uh, it in Robin's uh, translation uh, or as it was in uh, the NIV 84 where uh, we read, this is your spiritual act of worship. And in the NIV 2011, we have true and proper worship. Now the Greek word that's behind that, and they sound like two different things, don't they? Like this, how can spiritual worship and true and proper worship be talking about the same thing? Well, the Greek word behind that is the word logikos. And, of course, that word logikos is somewhat related, just FYI, not a Greek scholar, but uh, somewhat related to the word logic. You can hear it, right? Logikos, logic. They sound similar because they're related. Uh, they, they, that's where we get the word logic from. And the word literally means reasonable or rational. Uh, and so what Paul is calling uh, these people to is an is a offering of their bodies to God uh, as being the logical response to the mercy of God. Given all that God's done, it just, it wouldn't make sense to do anything else but this. But of course that then begs the question, well what does it mean? What does it mean to offer your body as a living sacrifice? All right, it's the logical thing to do, but what does that look like? Well, uh, partly what Paul is doing here is probably trying to shock uh, his uh, first readers out of their uh, platonic view of the body. Um, and it's, it, that, that would be a view that would beset some of us as well. Plato 
is, uh, uh, you know, like a famous, uh, really old philosopher. And he and uh, people who think like him had a view where the body is like a tomb from which the spirit must escape. It was very dualistic, uh, separating the bad body and the good spirit. But the Jewish people had a different understanding of, of body and spirit, much more integrated, holistic, uh, and seen together as one. And of course, the Christian gospel is not a message of God has come to save you from your bad body, but God is, has come to renew and restore and recreate your bodies. We often think of um, the hope of the Christian faith as being one of uh, becoming some sort of floating spirit in the sky with God. Uh, but that isn't the hope of the Bible. The hope of the Bible is resurrected bodies. Like s somehow when Jesus comes again, uh, our life is going to look something like this, but perfect. So it's really hard to understand, but God is making a new heavens and a new earth and those who are in Christ are going to be resurrected and have a transformed body. So Paul here, as he calls his uh, readers of Romans and as he calls us uh, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, he's trying to help them understand that, that, that God's grace and mercy has to have an impact on your body. It's not just something you can think about. It's not just something that is going to happen in the future. It, it has a real impact now. And, and he's already talked in Romans back in chapter 3. Go have a look at chapter 3, verse 13, later on. But he talks there about how sin reveals itself through our body. And so the life transformed by the grace and mercy of God, Paul's saying, will have a transformed bodily impact. To quote again from John Stott, our feet will walk in his path, that is Jesus' path. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who have fallen and perform many mundane tasks as well, like cooking and cleaning, typing and mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed and our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. This is the body transformed. And we must make sure we don't minimise the physical nature of our salvation. When we talk of giving our hearts to God, of course that is true, but of course that's not all there is to it. It's a whole of life transformation. Our whole selves, body, mind, soul and spirits. And it is to this uh, mind and body, this whole of life transformation that Paul moves to next, firstly talking about the transformed mind. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Throughout the scriptures, uh, God calls his people to be different to the world around them. And throughout the scriptures, God's people get condemned for failing to do so. 
Uh, we read the call in Leviticus. So Leviticus is the book where uh, kind of Moses gives the, the law, of God's law to God's people for them to live out in God's land. And uh, here uh, we read uh, their instructions. You must not do as they do in Egypt, Leviticus 18.3, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Like, don't do what they do, don't worship who they worship, do what I say, worship me. And of course, as the Old Testament unfolds, that's not what happens. 2 Kings 17.15, they rejected his decrees and the covenant he made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. And so Paul here as he calls for the transformation of uh, the mind and the, the, and the non-conformity to the pattern of this world, he's not telling uh, God's people a new thing. This is, this is what God has been calling his people to do for all time, to uh, differentiate themselves from the world. And here it is by the transforming or the, by the renewal of the mind. We're called to follow God's model of life. But if we're going to do that, we need this mind renewal. And it's only through having our minds renewed that we can discern the difference between the patterns of this world and the ways of God. And so how do we renew our minds? Well, of course... Paul doesn't go into too much detail here, but he does in other places. And we see it is through the power of God working by his spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the, the, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Or Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So first and foremost, this project that Paul's calling us to in view of God's mercy of mind transformation happens because God makes it happen. But we're not just passive spectators, we're actively involved. How? Through the word of God, through holding fast to it. So Paul says in places like Ephesians 6, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, or Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. How do we do this in view of God's mercy? Well, as a Christian, we are transformed first and foremost uh, as our minds are renewed by the power of the Spirit and the working of the Word of God as we put our minds to it and allow it to shape us by God's Spirit. And as we do that more and more, we're able to discern the will of God versus the ways of the world. And we're able to do so in a way that brings more and more transformation. A transformed mind enables bodily service of Christ and it is uh, 
this transformed life of offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice that Paul starts to just outline in more detail in the rest of our, our reading. And what we see is that first and foremost, we need to be people, uh, that one of the fruits of this transformation and this offering of our bodies is going to be humility. For, for by, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed you. What Paul's saying is, uh, as we have our minds transformed, it helps us to better understand who we are. It helps us to better understand how God has made us. And it helps us to avoid the excess of an overinflated self sense of importance and an underinflated one. We think of ourselves with sober judgment in order that we can offer our bodies to God as living sacrifice. And what does that look like? Well, verses uh, four through eight. It looks like living life together in community, serving one another with our gifts. Verse 4 and 5, Just as each one of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. So all of us, you and me, are different. And that's just like, our regular bodies. I've got fingers, eyes, ears, and all those have different jobs, different purposes. I shouldn't be annoyed at my finger because it can't read the Bible. Um, I shouldn't be annoyed at my um, foot because it is very bad at picking things up. And in the body of Christ we too bring different gifts that God calls us to use as, as, as we offer our bodies to God and to each other as a living sacrifice. We all bring different gifts given by God to the table for the blessing of the church. See, I need your gifts. I need the skills and abilities and talents that God has given you just as much as you need mine. And Paul outlines, Romans 6 verse 8, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. It's, if it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, lead diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This isn't, let's just say this, it, it, this is not like Paul's exhaustive list of the possible gifts that uh, you could have. You, you're not meant to sit down with this list and go, right, am I the prophet? Am I the servant? Am I the teacher? Am I the encourager or am I the giver? Okay, this is not, this is not the outlining of the fivefold gifts of the Spirit upon which you ought to base your life. It's simply Paul listing Things that people do in the body of Christ according to the gifts and grace that God has given them. And then to use those gifts diligently and, and generously 
in the body of Christ. This is what it looks like, in part, to offer your body as a spiritual act of worship. The Spirit comes uh, with the Word of God, your mind is renewed, and the grace of God gives you gifts to serve one another. And so my question for you, as we finish, is how has God gifted you? And then how are you using those gifts to serve us? Paul's encouragement as we think about that question, how has God gifted us, is to not think of ourselves too highly or too lowly. I think uh, if I was preaching today and this was the United States of America, I would be telling us all to underplay our gifts. Yeah, like Americans, they seem to have this kind of gumption. They, like to, they know what they're good at and they're not afraid to tell you. But for us, Australians, I think the, the tendency of our culture is to go the other way. To underplay our gifts rather than to recognise them and to lean into them. Not arrogantly, not with pride, but just understanding who you are and who God has made you to be and the gifts he has given you and the fact that they have been given for our benefit. They are evidence of the grace and mercy of God. So let me encourage you to think again about how it is you've been gifted and how you can use those gifts to serve your brothers and sisters in this church family. And if you're at a loss, that's okay. Let's have a chat. I'm not particularly scary, I don't think. I could be wrong, I could, have, I could be self-deceiving. But I'd love to talk to you. If, you. if you're like, you know what, I feel convicted, I'm not using my gifts, but you know what, that's because I don't know what they are. Well, we can talk about that and we can try and think through together about what you're good at and and how God might have gifted you and the ways you could use your gifts. Or if you know exactly what you're good at, but you've got no idea how God could use that in this place. Again, let's have a coffee. Let's talk about the, the wonderful ministry that God's calling you to found in this church using your gifts. For this is your spiritual act of worship. 